Good morning, Outlook Christian Church. So as she said, my name is Blake Wynn, and I am the student minister here at Outlook, and I am so excited that you joined us here, whether you're in person or online. We are so happy to have you here, and you are welcome here. So last week, as you know, and as I'm sure your kids and grandkids know, it was Christmas. And I know for me, it always brings up a lot of memories of Christmas morning, going and opening presents. And I know for me, I have a favorite gift that I open on Christmas morning. And from when I've talked to family members, friends, we all have one of those gifts that sticks out in our memory as the one that absolutely blew us away. Maybe it was something that we knew we were getting and we just couldn't wait until we could finally open that gift that was under the tree. Or maybe it was something that our parents surprised us with that we were absolutely oblivious to. For me, the one that stands out to me was when I got the 2011 Lego Star Wars Millennium Falcon. Here it is, absolutely beautiful. We got Darth Vader, Han, Luke, Chewie, Ben, Princess Leia, and the Millennium Falcon. Uh, when I opened this Christmas gift on Christmas, I was absolutely blown away because this was one of those gifts that I passed every time at Walmart. And it was like, oh man, I, I'm never gonna get that, but that would be so cool to have, that would be so awesome. But I remember opening it, and my response to my parents was just absolute awe and thanks, because this was a gift that I was never expecting. It was just absolutely amazing to me. I remember building it all afternoon that day and spending countless hours during my childhood building this thing and just having so much fun with all the different Star Wars characters flying around. And when we're growing up, when we're at Christmases or birthday parties and you have your aunt who gives you a gift or something like that, our parents teach you what the response is to someone who gives you a gift. Uh, often you probably know the phrase, and what do you say to them? In, rep in response, we all have to say, and say it with me, thank you. Yes, perfect, your parents taught you well. Awesome, perfect. But regardless, that is the regular rhythm that we are shown in response of a gift that is given to us. But as Christians, during this Christmas season, we often reflect on the gift of Jesus, God with us here on earth. And also it's a time where we can reflect on the grace that God has given us, the most magnificent and awesome gift that no matter what we've done in our life, no matter what has happened in this life that's separated us from God, we have the opportunity to have a relationship with him through his grace. But the thing is, we aren't often taught what our response ought to be to God's gifts that he has given us, his grace. So this morning, today, we're going to be looking to answer the question, how do we respond to God's grace? So today, Paul provides us this answer in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. That's where we're going to be during our time today, if you want to flip there on your phone or on your Bible. Romans is Paul's magnum opus. It's basically his grand theological work where he's hashing out all sorts of stuff in this letter to the Romans. It's one of those books where you read through a passage and you're like, oh, okay. And then you read through it again and maybe you get like a little grain of salt of something that you can gleam out of that. And then you read it again, you're like, okay, maybe. But no matter what happens in Romans, no matter how dense and like sometimes confusing it might be, I really love this passage because I think Paul gives us a great idea on what our response to God's grace would be. So Paul starts out in verse one. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? 
by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In this section, Paul challenges his hearers in Rome. He challenges us today and Christians even in the future to remember the time that we began to follow Jesus. To remember that point where we were baptized and we chose to follow Jesus for the first time in our life. And he's asking us to remember, why did you choose to follow God in the first place? If you were expecting a get out of hell free card, Paul says that you might be missing the point of what it truly means to follow Jesus. We shouldn't respond to God's grace by living in our old selves and misusing that grace, that perfect gift that God has given us. If you see, as, if you see God's grace as an excuse to be able to do whatever you want to do and just say, you know what, I'll just ask for forgiveness later. God will forgive me, you know, because he's good. That, Paul says that you're missing the point of what it means to follow Christ. For those of us who have had kids, have kids currently, or for those of us who can remember their childhood well, for those of us who might still be children to this day, we can remember that a lot of times children are really good at living in the moment. They're really good at being there and enjoying what's with them, but they're not always great at remembering the whole point of something. So, for instance, one thing that I remember to this day, and I still struggle with sometimes, so you gotta give me grace on that, one thing that I always remember is when my mom would tell me, and sometimes me and my brother, to clean my room. Ah, it was never fun for me. Because what would happen is I would get so invested in the first part of the process, the sorting of all the, okay, here's all my games, I'm gonna put them in this pile so I can put them over here. Here's all my Star Wars action figures, I'll put them over here so that way they can be over there. And here's some other stuff that I have over here that I'll put in this tub. And so often, I would get so invested in having all my toys out and around that it was like this big crossover episode of all this amazing stuff. And then my mom would come back 15 minutes later, and there's just an even bigger mess all over the floor because I had totally forgotten the whole point of what my mom had told me to do. The whole point was not to have this big celebration of all my toys that I've ever owned all on the floor. The point was to clean all of it up and to put it back where it was supposed to go. Likewise, we can easily forget the point of why we follow God. We have to remember, Paul says, what it looks like to follow God, and remember that it looks like living a new life. Maybe for you, you thought that being Christian was all about going to fun camps, fun conferences, mission trips, stuff like that. Or maybe for you, you thought it was only about getting your sins forgiven so that way you didn't have to spend eternity in hell. Or maybe for you, it was so that way you could live exactly how you wanted and then just ask God for forgiveness. But the point of all of these fun things, the point of everything here, is for us to live a new life. We must remember that that is the reason why we follow Christ, why we followed him in baptism. So the first thing the first response that we ought to have to God's grace is that we respond by remembering why we follow him. 
Paul continues in verse 5 in this passage saying, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because everyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In this second part of the passage, Paul draws an emphasis on Christ's death and what that means for us as believers. I think there's two really important verses to look at here in this passage. It's verses 6 and verses 11. So verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And then verse 11 says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul wants to get our attention here and saying that when we choose to follow Jesus, it's about living a new life, but it's also about putting to death sin in our lives. Paul doesn't say that we won't ever sin again. He knows that he himself has sinned since he started to follow Jesus, and he knows that we will sin because we're all human. But what he says here, using those words, count yourselves, or in other translations, consider yourselves, is that we are to look toward our inner identity as Christians. That our core identity is people that will do anything to not sin. That we ought to be people who not let that live in our bodies, live in ourselves. That we do anything we can to keep from sinning. We are dead to it. It no longer ought to live in our bodies. And Christ's work on the cross and in the grave has defeated both sin and death forever. So why would we let it reign in our lives? I know for me, I grew up in one of those cultures, one of those church cultures that was always told, don't sin. Don't do those bad things. Don't do that. Don't do this. But I, it was a long time before I even had the tools on what it looked like to combat sin in my life. I was always told what I was supposed to do and not to do, but I didn't even have any helpful tips on what it might look like to prevent sin in my life. So we're about halfway done with the sermon right now, so I don't have a full time to give you an extensive list on how to stop every single sin. If I had that list, I could probably write a book and make lots of money, but I don't have that list. But today, what I wanna do is just provide a few helpful tips, a few helpful tools in your life that maybe for you could be really helpful at putting to death sin in your life. So the first one here is have accountability. Maybe for you, a way to overcome that sin in your life, and you probably know the one I'm talking about, I know the one that I'm talking about. For all of us, it might be different. For some of us, we might have the same one. But for regardless, maybe for you, a way to get rid of some of the sin in your life is to have accountability with other people. 
Maybe that's just a trusted friend or mentor. Maybe it's someone that you grew up with. Maybe it's someone that you've met here at Outlook. Or maybe for you, you're dealing with something that's a lot more deep, something that's not just a surface level sin that you can work to get away from. Maybe it's something that's eating away at you. Maybe for you, you would find value in going and seeking therapy, seeking counseling and getting professional help to get better. Because there's no shame in that. I hope, I hope that we never come into church and think that it's only Jesus and not therapy. I, I want to say it's Jesus and therapy. There's so much value in getting help when you need help. And maybe for you, it's not just therapy. Maybe for you, you would benefit from an accountability group like maybe it's Alcoholics Anonymous or it might even be CR Celebrate Recovery that we have here. And just talking with people and being real, not about just the good in your life, but about the bad in your life as well. A lot of good happens when we are together and share not only the good things in our life, but also the bad. So, ways to battle sin, have accountability. The second one is to know yourself. And this is a lot about putting up constructive boundaries for yourself in your life. For instance, if you know that going down that street is going to lead you to going to that bar, and going to that bar is going to lead you to having one more drink than you want to have, then maybe it's time for you to find a different route to work or a different way home. Or maybe for you, it looks like that you don't get on your phone at that time of night because you know it's going to lead you to that website. Maybe it's time for you to finally put one of those filters on your phone or to have accountability in that. I think for us, now this is not an immediate fix. This is something, again, that's just a helpful tool on ways to battle sin. But regardless, figure out where it is in your life, if you really want to get rid of a certain sin, figure out what leads up to that and figure out how to put in helpful and productive boundaries to stay away from that. The third one here is study scripture. I think this is an incredibly important one. It's good that I'm saying that because I'm a youth pastor, but regardless, it's one thing to come to church on Sunday morning, to come to youth group on Sunday evening, and to hear about how the pastor thinks that you should live. That's one, one thing to do, but it's another thing for us, just like the psalmist says in Psalm 119.11, to hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. Just as Jesus himself knew the word of God and withstood the devil's temptations in the desert, we too ought to build up our own internal reservoir of God's words, scripture in our lives that can help us withstand the temptations of sin and flee from it and remove it from our lives. The fourth one, and I think the most important one here, is rely on God. No list would be complete without this crucial step. We as Christians, as Paul said in our baptism, calling back to that, when we are baptized, we as believers are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's self within us. And I don't think that I fully comprehend that. I don't think that anyone really fully comprehends that because it is an incredibly amazing thing. But I want to, what I, I want to offer here is for us to remember that when we go through trials and temptations, that we ought to pray to the Spirit to give us exactly what we need to withstand this temptation. We serve a God who answers prayer. 
We serve a God who answers prayer. Now, sin is something that eats away in us, and these are some ways to battle that. But when I think about sin, it's not just something that is a list of do's and don'ts of things that we should or should not do. Sin is something that eats away at us. And I don't know much about cars, hardly know anything at all, but I know that sin and rust on a car have a lot in common. When it comes to a part of your car that's been rusted or a part of your life where you've been sinning, it's one of those things where you can try some helpful tools here to fix it in your life. You can do the old trusted, get one of those little paint pen things and try to blot out the rust spot or even go to you know, your buddy who has an aerosol can thing and he could spray it and it looks okay. Or you can do the old faithful, all right, just don't look at that part of the car. I know I've done that. I know I've done that. But regardless, the only way to keep your car from completely crumbling to bits after years is to completely get rid of the rust. Now, whether that is cutting out that part of the, part of the car and replacing it with a new piece, welding it on and doing the whole body shop thing, or if it's completely replacing that part, that's the only way that you can get rid of rust to completely cover that part of the car. For us as Christians, we chose to follow Jesus by getting rid of the rusted parts of our life. And this is not just by our might, by our power. This is by the power of the Spirit. We ought to not allow sin to live in our lives, but we ought to die to it. The second response to sin, uh, the second response to how we should respond to God's grace is that we respond by dying to sin. Now, because we both ought to remember why we decided to follow Christ in the first time, and we ought to respond by dying to sin, finally here, Paul gives his final exhortation, his final charge to us, starting in verse 12. He says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself as an instrument to wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. In verses 13 through 14, Paul uses the language, sin shall no longer be your master, and offer yourselves to God as one who has been brought from death to life. He reminds us that just because we've received God's gift of grace, just because we've been released from the slavery of sin and death in our lives, that doesn't mean that we don't have a master. That doesn't mean that we don't have someone that we still have to report to. God... (laughs) Paul reminds us that God is our master. Our master is the Lord, and he is the one who is worthy of worship, praise, and he is the one where our true loyalty lies. He is the one we ought to live for in our lives. And when we think about loyalty and who we're loyalty, who are, where our loyalty lies, who we're loyal to, my mind always goes back to medieval times. Maybe it's because I'm a big fan of Lord of the Rings or Narnia or Game of Thrones or any of those sort of medieval shows or movies or whatever it is. Regardless, back in the day, back in medieval times, loyalty to a king or a queen was a really big thing. It wasn't just something that was just words thrown out into the street. This was something that changed the way that you lived your life. 
Now, whether you were a merchant, you were a common citizen, you were someone begging on the street, no matter if you were a knight or a sailor or whoever you were, if you were a part of a kingdom, you swore loyalty to the king and queen. It meant loyalty or death. You were either loyal to the royalty or you meant an untimely death in the town square because you conspired with the enemy. Now, while I don't think that God is the type of God who is going to absolutely send the guillotine out and chop our heads off in the town square if we sin, because again, we serve a God who is full of both mercy and love, but we must remember which king we serve. And we ought to be loyal to him, not just with what we have in our heads, not with what we say, but with everything, with all the parts of us. Instead of giving in to the sinful desires Paul talks about, he urges us to offer ourselves to God. I love how the NLT puts it here. It says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. As followers of Jesus, our call is to do what is right for the glory of God by following what Jesus has told us to do. And part of that comes through studying scriptures, I said earlier, and knowing in our hearts what we ought to do as Christians, how we ought to conduct ourselves. Maybe for you, it might not look like some grandiose thing that you have to change about your life. Maybe for you, it just looks like being more patient with the people at work that test you beyond what you can stand. Or maybe for some of you, it looks like treating others fairly, the ones that you used to take advantage of. Or maybe for you, it looks like truly following the golden rule in your life and actually treating others the way that you would want to be treated in your life. Or maybe for you, and maybe this is low-hanging fruit because it is New Year's Eve, maybe for you, your New Year's resolution tonight needs to be that you ought to follow God with all of your being. Not just with what you say, not just with what you post on Instagram, but following him with your whole heart. This morning, we got together to answer the question, how do we respond to God's grace? How do we respond to a gift that's so magnificent, so great, that absolutely blows us out of the water? And Paul says here that we respond by remembering why we follow him. We respond by dying to sin. But ultimately, here Paul says in this last section, we respond by living for Christ. We were talking about Christmas presents earlier. And for this Christmas, I got something very special. I know some of you with your curious mind have probably been wondering what in the world is up here on this pedestal. So for me, I love Vans shoes. But for me, it has been a while since I got a new pair of white Vans shoes. They are pretty gross, pretty nasty. If you can't tell, these used to be like clean and white. These were absolutely disgusting. They've got dirt on them. The soles are a little worn out. They've got antifreeze from a car incident. Like just anything and everything is on this old pair. But my parents got me a brand new pair of these white shoes. Like they haven't even, I haven't even put them on once. Yeah, yeah. 
I also realized how dirty these were when I opened up the new pair. I was like, oh my gosh. But regardless, these, these shoes that I've been wearing for months and months and months are far from the fresh, clean, white shoes from the factory that my parents have given me. And for so often, for so long now, I have been living every day in these shoes, not realizing how dirty they really were. The whole point for my parents giving me a new pair of shoes was for me to take these off and throw them in the garbage and put this new pair on. So today, what I wanna encourage you to do is in your life, whatever it looks like in your life, to throw this old pair of shoes away and to put on the new pair of shoes that God has given you, responding to his grace by living for him. Remember, we respond by living for Christ. Now this week and every week, we pause to remember the gift of new life through communion. So if you have your communion with you, feel free to take that out. If you need to grab one in the back, there's no shame to that. But regardless, Every week we pause to remember the death, resurrection of Jesus. The one who provided the perfect gift of grace to us. And this morning, if you want to take out the bread, let's remember our Savior's body who was broken for us. And with the cup, we remember Christ's blood shed for us that wipes away the penalty of sin and death. God, thank you so much for a great day. God, thank you so much for the gift of grace in our lives. Thank you so much that you have set us free from the penalty of sin and death. God, in our lives, help us to not just remember and realize that we ought to live for you just with what we say or what we think, but God, that our whole beings, that we would offer ourselves to you, and we ought to live as Christ has told us. God, thank you so much for everything that you've given us, and God, thank you so much for today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.